Welcome back to Second Helping, the first choice among fans and followers of the top league in all of collegiate athletics. That league, of course, the Southeastern Conference. Travis Ryer, Senior Analyst for BamaOnline.com, part of the 247Sports.com network, alongside my great friend Brent Beard, a longtime college football analyst, most recently for First Coast News down in Jacksonville, Florida. Brent, of course, also a longtime voter for the Heisman Trophy. And with that, Brent, I hope you had a great Christmas, my friend. I did. Both daughters were in. Uh, their uh, their dogs and cats were in, too, Tramp. So that, that was <laughs> a, <laughs> Bring it all. You know? So we, we kept everybody, we kept the four-legged children away from each other, so that went fine. But yeah, you I, guys were able to sort of recreate the manger uh, uh, scene, scene there, you know, with, with everything yes. involved. Yes, no question about that. Almost, almost no one in the arts. Just needed a lamb and a goat or something. You That's know, right. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Probably got some of those right here, too. But we, <laughs> we, we wish our uh, we wish our listeners uh, Merry Christmas and a, uh, and a Happy New Year. And, and uh, Travis, hard to believe that, that we are uh, that the, uh, the semifinals, uh, uh, the playoffs are almost here. And as we continue to roll through bowl games that listen it uh, i love it uh, it starts at noon ends about 1 30 uh so uh, we got several days in a row of it so it's fun yeah we are recording this at midday thursday so we're gonna review the sec performance to date oof i guess the one word yes. adjective to sort of describe that uh, through the four games that the SEC has been a participant in. And again, based on the timing of the recording, uh, we're leading right up to that Duke's Mayo Bowl on Thursday. That's a 11.30 a.m. kickoff. So uh, we'll preview that a little bit, but understanding our timing will overlap with that game actually getting underway in Charlotte later today. You have Tennessee taking on Purdue in what is the equivalent, or should be, you would think. Purdue could probably travel down I-65 pretty well sure. uh, to Nashville for that game, that fan base. But the Vols certainly expected to outnumber the Boilers by a wide margin there in the Music City Bowl. And then, as Brent alluded to, we'll get into some semifinal matchups uh, involving the Alabama Crimson Tide and the Georgia Bulldogs. And then on Saturday... New Year's Day, you've got three teams from the SEC in action between Arkansas, Kentucky, in the Florida Bowls, and then, of course, in the nightcap from New Orleans, Lane Kiffin, the Ole Miss Rebels, taking on the Big 12 champion, Baylor Bears at the, I used to be the Mercedes-Benz Superdome. Yeah. I think maybe they changed the sponsorship on that one. But, again, a lot to get into on the latest edition of Second Helping. Let's start with a little bit of a review, though, Brent. And, again, uh, an 0 for start for the Southeastern Conference. And that's before you talk about Texas A&M pulling out all together from the upcoming Gator Bowl. Uh, what do you make of this start or this lack of a start, I guess you could say, for the SEC, Brent? Well, I think a lot of it, uh, frankly, Travis, to me, is uh, is quarterback play. For instance, you had uh, a couple of games, Florida losing to uh, UCF uh, with a very average uh, Emory Jones, who frankly struggled the entire day. And uh, I know Florida is getting Jack Miller out of Ohio State. I'm not sure how in the future that will help them, but for the 
for the present, it was a real struggle in the bowl game. And I think, Trav, also you go to uh, the situation at Auburn uh, and how they struggled also at quarterback with Finley. T.J. Finley um, has been quite inconsistent throughout the year. And, and, and I tell you, the SEC teams have struggled this year. We can probably trace this back for many years. But uh, inconsistent and very, very average quarterback play, uh, I think, finally caught up with some of these teams. Yeah, I thought Brady Cook for Missouri showed some nice he things did. in place of Connor Bazelak in that loss to Army uh, last week. But, you know, even he had an opportunity to sort of slam the door a little bit on the Black Knights, on the two-point conversion after Missouri yes. went up 22-21 late. And he's got the wide-open receiver, the running back, out of the backfield, and he just misses him. And that yeah. proved to be a, a big failed two-point conversion because Army goes down to its credit. Certainly not a team known for sort of two-minute prowess mm-hmm. offensively. No. Uh, but Army was able to go down and kick the winning field goal after that sequence. You said it about Emory Jones, sub 50% completion percentage against UCF. He averaged less than five yards per pass attempt, continues to miss on some vertical throws, uh, it seems like, with a pretty high rate of incompletion percentage on those. I thought Florida ran the ball well enough when you look yeah. at those two running backs, Malik mm-hmm. Davis, he averaged 12.3 per carry. Yeah. Damian Pierce runs for 57 yards. Both Davis and Pierce find the end zone against UCF in that game. Even Emory Jones gave you some good stuff on the ground with 62 rushing yards. But, yeah, just not enough to get over the hump offensively against UCF in that game. So, uh, quarterback play, it's a good point, Brent. I think I think you hit on it with T.J. Finley. I think if you're Brian Harson at this point coming off of that loss to Houston, um, and we can talk about Houston going down in the final four minutes sure. and getting in the end zone. Auburn's offense lost that game. They did Auburn because the defense time and time again in the second half, put it on a tee for the offense to really put that game out of reach and Auburn failed to do that offensively. And so uh, I think, have you seen enough if you're Brian Harson of TJ Finley and this extended audition following the Bo Nix injury to think this isn't the guy that we can win enough with if we're going to sustain this thing under my tenure. Well, and they all, there was also all kinds of uh, uh, buzz among Auburn beat writers at Davis. Uh, the uh, uh, youngest quarterback they've got was going to get in uh, and play a little bit. Didn't even see a snap uh, in the game. So Austin Davis, the Seattle quarterback coach who's coming over to be OC, uh, will be interesting to see what they do, but but that is the big deal for them. Trev, if I could sum up the Auburn offense this year, I would say Auburn has, after Tank Bigsby runs for eight yards on their final drive, they've got second and two, and then they come out yeah. and oh, oh the oh, Trev oh, oh, three oh, plays can't get three two yards. Plays. They cannot yeah. get and, with and Tank they're Bigsby all, in the backfield, and they're all passes and there are no runs. Does that tell you all you need to know? Yeah, somewhere Mike Bobo got a chuckle out of that, probably. Sure you know, and Bigsby finishes that game as not only Auburn's leading rusher with 96 yards, 
also Auburn's leading receiver with 68 receiving yards. So exactly what you wanted to get out of Tank Bigsby, especially after there had been rumblings about perhaps an exit to the transfer portal in previous weeks, uh, he continues to be that that beacon for the Auburn offense moving forward. But yeah, it's not so much a knock on TJ Finley in terms of some of his skill set. It's just that at six foot seven, you essentially have to build a fortress around this guy. Yes, sure. And then you better be next level good at the skill positions. You better be able to run it. And you can do that with Tank Bigsby, but you better have some wide receivers that maybe are a little bit above what you have in Kobe Hudson and right. some of the got Demetrius Robertson. Not that these are bad guys. These are more complimentary receivers, I guess sure. is the point. You better go out and you better be able to get you a Jamison Williams out of the transfer mm-hmm. portal or something along those lines to put around a quarterback like TJ Finley. In other words, everything has to be right around a yeah, guy like right. TJ Finley because he's not an eraser when it comes to things no. breaking down and extending plays and, you know, helping receivers get open because he can stress defenses with his legs. Uh, these are the issues you're going to deal with, uh, with a guy like TJ Finley moving forward. So it'll be interesting to see exactly where this Auburn offense goes from here. Uh, disappointing loss. I would say though, the most surprising performance of the four games involving SEC teams to date, Brent, for me, it has to be Mississippi State, not just losing to Texas Tech, but getting bombed. And that's understanding. State had several absences between the portal, between guys going pro, between perhaps some COVID issues. Uh, Didn't see Mike Leach's former employer dropping the boom on him like that. Uh, no, not at all, uh, especially with some of the rhetoric we heard from <laughs> Leach before the game. But 14 players for uh, Mississippi State that actually played in the Egg Bowl did not play uh, in this game. We knew about Charles Cross, the left tackle. Uh, Malik Heath, the wide receiver, was in a car wreck right after the Egg Bowl, and he was not on hand. Scott Lashley, the Alabama transfer that we talked about a lot, uh, was also missing from the uh, uh, lineup. But, look, Tra- <clears throat> Travis and I have followed Mike Leach for years, and the reality that you've got is that you've, you've got a Mike Leach team that beat three top 25 teams. They lost to Memphis, and then they get absolutely ran out of the gym by a Texas Tech team that that was around uh, 500. Uh, so... Uh, I, 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 I can't say that I was surprised, but I'm with you. I mean, I, I give Will Rogers credit for hanging in there and doing the best that he can, but, uh, it, uh, j- just an extremely disappointing overall for uh, Mississippi state. Hopefully they can rebound for next year, but boy, Trev, when you get run out like that, 34 to seven, that's a difficult way to end the year. Yeah. You look at state offensively, just never got it going really. And, now, Will Rogers throws for 290, but we go back to that yards per attempt stat with him, and it yes. took him 53 attempts to get to 290, so 5.5 per attempt for Will Rogers in the game. Uh, and, you know, from the outset, really surprising that Texas Tech was clearly the more physical team. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, where the Mississippi State defense was concerned. I, I, the first drive for Texas Tech to 
sort of get on the scoreboard there. Uh, 75 yards, I believe they were all runs, you know. So Tech came out and really established a mindset and a physicality on offense and rushing for over 250 yards in this wow. game against Zach Arnett's defense. That That is what caught me off guard. And I think this is maybe a case study in some ways with Texas Tech because they were so early in making the coaching change and not just mm-hmm. not just separating itself uh, from its previous coach, but making the hire pretty quickly to the next guy. And so maybe that works to your advantage in terms of, you know, a lot of times, like you saw Oregon on Wednesday night, it, 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 that didn't, you know, no. and you've got Dan Lanning still coaching Georgia, you know, that looked like very much a team in transition mm-hmm. uh, with tech making the change like it has and going ahead and getting its next guy pretty much in place. Not that he coached against Mississippi State in the game, because that was Sonny Cumbie, who's going to be the head coach at Louisiana Tech moving forward, but played quarterback under Mike Leach at Texas Tech. Just seemed like, um, and some uh, Tech just seemed like the more together team. Whereas like, you've got A and M going through, I mean, excuse me, uh, State going through a lot of things uh, between all the the factors we talked about. I just thought that, uh, that that state would have just been a lot more motivated. But listen, it was obvious. Uh, yeah. Travis, Travis and I talk a lot about body language, and there's no doubt Tech wanted to win the game a lot more. It uh, felt like Tech has already gotten a jump start on implementing the culture it wants yes. moving forward. Yes. It, it, yes. it felt like the players had more to play for, uh, which, again, given the situations – um, you know, in the past, you would have found that surprising. Maybe maybe this is going to be more of what we see moving forward with programs making changes uh, earlier and earlier, due in large part, I guess, to that early signing period. Uh, and, and to back up what you said about Tech's offense, Ta- Trav, how about this for balance? 252 passing, 260 rushing. Yeah, that was a surprise to me. And I understand for uh, for Mississippi State, most of the absences that were impactful were probably on the defensive side of the right. ball. I mean, Martin Emerson didn't play in the game, the outstanding corner, but you, know, you still had Emmanuel Forbes and uh, Aaron Brule has moved on in the transfer portal at the linebacker position to Mississippi State. But again, yeah, I think for both of us, it's pretty clear that the state performance against Texas Tech in Memphis, the most surprising to date. So let's look ahead real quickly here, Brent, because as I said, as we record this game in Charlotte, set to kick off in probably 12 to 15 minutes. But <laughs> South Carolina taking on North Carolina in the Dukes Mayo Bowl. A um, couple teams, when you talk about scoring uh, points, hadn't been as much of a problem for North Carolina as it has been for South Carolina this season. But uh, North Carolina gives it up at a pretty good clip on the defensive side. Uh, they really do. Uh, North Carolina has been very inconsistent. Their offensive line has been shaky. Now they lead the ACC in rushing. Uh, but one one of the things that – two things sticking out for me with this game. Number one, Trev, again, Zeb Nolan is your quarterback. Good. For South Carolina, uh, the GA uh, with that. Uh, and the quarterback played South Carolina less than 200 yards passing in the last five games and uh, South Carolina laying over 200, 200 rushing yards 
five times in, in nine games, and when they've done that, they're 0 and 5 at that point. 1 and 6 when they've allowed 180 yards rushing or more. So, look, sometimes stats don't tell the story, and sometimes they really do. So, it, it, it's just one of those things that if North Carolina, uh, if they run early, Trav, and they get up in an early lead, uh, the the uh, the scales are very balanced in their favor if you look at what South Carolina has done or maybe not done the whole year. You know, when you consider this being opt-out season these days, you surprised North Carolina quarterback Sam Howell playing in the game? Uh, yes, uh, I'm, I'm certainly glad to see that uh, at this point, but uh, I was surprised about that. And look, admittedly, uh, he struggled at times this yeah. year. He's been inconsistent, so he probably he probably wants to have a little bit more with that himself. And and and, and Trav again, listen. When you're talking about South, both these teams, would anything surprise you in this game? No. Would, would would you know South Carolina beating Auburn and Florida? And we all obviously know what disappointments those two teams have been this year, but particularly with North Carolina and how they've struggled at times. So. Uh, it, to me, it, isn't South Carolina almost playing with house money in this game? A classic want-to game because yeah. in terms of preseason expectations, you got North Carolina that fell well below where a lot of folks projected them to be at this point. And then you got South Carolina who almost no one projected as a bowl team back in the preseason. So uh, that's certainly in play this time of year, no doubt about it. Nashville, Tennessee coming up later on this Thursday, 3 p.m. Eastern kickoff. The Vols of Tennessee take on the Boilermakers of Purdue and SEC Big Ten matchup before we get the varsities. Uh, the varsity matchup among these, we're going to have a few of these SEC yeah. Big Ten games in the next mm-hmm. couple of days, but in Georgia, Michigan, obviously the one we'll be highlighting. But you look at this Tennessee team, again, in terms of preseason expectations, I think this is another team that, um, at least met those. Yeah. I, I didn't see Tennessee as a seven and five team, frankly, given the attrition and the turnover uh, with the coaching staff and everything else. But here the Vols are should be an entertaining game between these two teams on Thursday afternoon. No question. Uh, David Bell, uh, one of the better wide receivers in the nation at Purdue, is opted out. That, uh, so he will not be there. One of the better pass rushers in the Big Ten, George Karloffis, uh, will, will not be there either. Uh, Aiden O'Connell has had a pretty good year, 16 touchdowns and no picks in the last five games for Purdue. A uh, couple, two or three interesting uh, Tennessee stats real quick. Ball six and zero when they average five yards or more on the ground. Uh, when they don't, they're zero and five. How about that? Cade Mays will not play travel on the offensive line. And, and look, 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 peeking ahead for just uh, about 20 seconds. We know Hendon Hooker is coming back, but since we were last on the air, we found out Cedric Tillman Trav is coming back for uh, Tennessee, the wide receiver. You and I uh, in Bright Denny to see Tennessee, and boy, Cedric Tillman played well. That, that uh, He along with Hendon Hooker, that's tremendous news for that Vol offense coming up in the next few months. It is. It's uh, been really a, just a wave of good news for Tennessee, and I understand that also, uh, Josh Heupel trying to talk Cade Mays into coming back uh, for another year on that offensive line. You look at this uh, this 
betting line, and really you can say this for a lot of these games based on player availability, where the line opened versus mm-hmm. where it is now. Sure. Uh, this line opened as Purdue a two-and-a-half-point favorite because of some of the opt-outs that you outlined, I'm sure. Tennessee now up to a seven-and-a-half-point wow. favorite. So, again, a common theme in a lot of these bowl games to see lines open one way and, again, based on player availability and the COVID reoccurrence that we've had here of late, uh, lines changing pretty dramatically here in the days and weeks leading up to kickoff. So Purdue and Tennessee, Tennessee right now, again, a seven and a half point favorite. I like the balls to win the game. Yeah. I don't know if they'll do so by more than seven and a half. Um, and you got a total for this game at 65 and a half. That's a lot of points. And it could be, could be a very entertaining game. We know Tennessee uh, with Hooker and those receivers uh, capable of, of exploding for a pretty big number uh, on that side of the ball. So let's look ahead now to uh, New Year's Eve. And when, of course, we've got the double dip that we are anticipating <laughs> greatly, Brent. We'll get it going with Cincinnati and Alabama in the early game uh, on Friday. Uh, the Crimson Tide, the top-ranked team in the college football playoff. Uh, Cincinnati, is it Cincinnati the legitimate opponent, or is it Cincinnati the Cinderella, more from your perspective, Brent? I think they're. I think they are a legitimate team. I think they still lack uh, on the line of scrimmage. Where the SEC team in a situation like this, I think, is going to uh, have the advantage. Uh, but still, their challenges that Cincinnati secondary with Sauce Gardner and Kobe Bryant, uh, and and who, as you written about, who is going to replace John Mechie. Uh, on that Alabama receiving core, I think it's going to be fascinating. And I think Desmond Ritter, quarterback, true dual threat, Jerome Ford at running back, the former Alabama transfer, who doesn't want to be titled the uh, former Alabama transfer. Uh, that's a good matchup with Alabama linebackers. Also, and, and if you, as you've written, can the can that Alabama offensive line have another uh, game like they did against Georgia by not allowing a uh, a sack in the game, but uh, one thing's for sure: um, the the Alabama team uh, has been very clear that this is a business trip for them. Had a chance to get out, and enjoy some of the nightlife, and I'm sure they did a little bit of it. But uh, a lot of talk about how serious they want to get to the championship game. But but I I do think Cincinnati will, will be a challenge for them. They've got, I think they've got some players that uh, that, that are going to cause Alabama some trouble, but I still think Trav that that that, that interior on this offensive and defensive line, it, at some point the recruiting for Alabama and the SEC makes a difference. Yeah, if you're Cincinnati, you're banking on this wealth of experience you have roster wide. Yes. Uh, yes. You talk about super seniors and upperclassmen in general. Uh, that's Cincinnati and. You know, both these defenses do a good job of taking the football away. Cincinnati with an FBS leading 33 takeaways on the season. So they thrive in that area. They thrive in the area of negative plays, just like Alabama does. So tackles for loss, sacks, takeaways. Those are the things to keep an eye on, in my opinion, for this game. Uh, Efficiency at the quarterback position has been a strength for both. Can Desmond Ritter maintain that? 
from the Cincinnati perspective, especially mm-hmm. if Alabama's front seven is successful early in the game in taking away Jerome Ford and maybe Ritter as well in terms of what he does on the ground. Alabama, for all of Ritter's accomplishments as a passer, still wants to put this game into his hands from that perspective. They want to make him an every down passer. Um, you know, and it's a it's a couple of teams that I think for both teams, there's questions on the outside. For Alabama, it's more related to uh, the injury to John Mechie. I think for Cincinnati, it's more about, okay, we know Alec Pierce, we know Trey Scott have nice numbers, but can they do it against a defense like Alabama's? Well, Alabama's dealing with some in- issues at corner. Mm-hmm. Um, so maybe that helps Cincinnati from that perspective. But yeah, I think for both teams, uh, you- you're talking about winning for sure with what you think you have on defense. You know, a guy for Cincinnati to watch, Curtis Brooks, right on the football, nose tackle with 12 and a half tackles for loss, seven and a half sacks. So for Alabama, the question becomes there, is it Darian Dahlcourt at center, Brent? Yeah. Is it Seth right. McLaughlin? How does that interior hold up with that center position still somewhat in flux? Uh, well, in, in, in a game like this, you don't want snaps over the quarterback's head or load, or he's got to he's got to just fall on the ball to keep from losing it. Uh, that's going to be fascinating to see. Also, as you mentioned, um, uh, Nick Saban's talked about Jalen Armour Davis being back. He's had that hip injury, but at cornerback, uh, as you mentioned a few minutes ago, that that could be key. And also, how about a guy like JoJo Earl? Uh, how much action will he see? Could he see some action in the kicking game? And, and Trev, I haven't seen a whole lot of people talk about this, but uh, Cincinnati has missed 10 of 17 field goals. Oh, yeah. That is a lot in one season. Now, now Cincinnati's not going to beat Alabama making field goals. Will Reichert has actually been money uh, on this season, except for a few uh, poor center snaps. Uh, but, but look, in a... Uh, in any kind of game like this, the kicking game could go a long way. Yeah, you're right. Cincinnati dead last in FBS and field goal percentage, making seven of 17. They've tried three different kickers this year. So if it is a tight game or it's even a situation where Cincinnati needs points throughout the game, uh, that's something to keep an eye on, especially, as you mentioned, with Will Reichert on the other side for Alabama. Cincinnati creates opportunities through special teams with block kicks, mm-hmm. uh, something Alabama had to deal with. In, in advance of Georgia uh, in the SEC championship game. So absolutely, the kicking game, uh, some areas where you're going to want to keep your eyes peeled for this one. I think Alabama wins the game. I'm Here's my thing. With Alabama's offense, I, I saw too much in November, the inconsistency. Yes, yes. To make me think that a stellar performance against the best defense in college football in Georgia is even enough to make me feel like, okay, they've got it fixed now. Everything's good. They're going to put 35-plus on Cincinnati, whoever they see potentially uh, in the championship game. For me, me, looking at the Alabama offense, this is a validation game. Was what we saw earlier in the month against Georgia real, or was it just sort of, again, one of these really strong performances in the midst of some games like LSU, like Auburn, you know, you look at Alabama in its last two games in which it scored 42 or more, 
against Power 5 competition, Brent, the very next game, they scored 20 against LSU. Mm -hmm. And then after putting 42 on Arkansas, you know, Alabama scores 24 in three overtimes against Auburn. So it's it's validation. It's a validation game for me for the Alabama offense. Uh, when we talk a lot about maturity games, I think that is somewhat this situation too. Trev, I think Bama may have lost to Cincinnati if they had played the Saturday after uh, the SEC championship game. Uh, they've had some time now to get yeah. their uh, – I, I think their mind straight and uh, – The, the Mechie situation dealt with yes. a little bit. Yeah, yes, no question about that. And and I'll tell you what, one thing you said, in uh, another guy, Majai Sanders, this defensive yeah. end who has seven tackles for loss, those are guys that they've got to block. So so my, my question, similar with yours, is – uh, well, will will they turn into a Georgia a similar Georgia performance, or do they go back to uh, they're having to march the length of the field in the middle of the fourth quarter to win the game? Yeah, and if they do, you like the guy that's leading the march. Uh, no question. And Bryce Young. Um, and that's where I think you take a little comfort in the Mechie situation, even if you're an Alabama fan, because whether it's Ja'Cory Brooks, whether it's Trayshawn Holden, whether it's more tight end involvement, mm-hmm. maybe it's more involvement for Brian Robinson out of the backfield. This is a guy at quarterback that has that ability to elevate the play of everyone around him, offensive linemen included. So uh, that's where you can take some comfort in this one. Hey, let's talk some Georgia and Michigan set for the late game on New Year's Eve in the college football playoff from South Florida in the Orange Bowl. Uh, still a lot of talk from the Georgia perspective. You knew this was going to happen following the loss to Alabama. Is Stetson Bennett really the guy? What about JT Daniels? And then we learned Daniels has dealt with some COVID issues. Uh, and you hear from Todd Munkin, you hear from, uh, Kirby Smart, you hear from Stetson Bennett over the last few days and still very much in lockstep with number 13 being the guy for the dogs behind center. I, I would be very interested, Trav, um, behind the scenes, what that talk really has meant uh, and, and really how close that Daniels has been to be able to play. Uh, but, look, I still give Bennett a lot of credit. I mean, I know he's thrown interceptions, uh, uh, particularly against Alabama. But And, and I would be curious if there's going to be a, a shorter leash because of the Alabama game. But, but, but Trav, Look, above him, beyond Bennett, to me, is can, can Georgia protect him with Aiden Hutchinson and David Ojibo that is coming around on that defensive end? And now, the one thing we don't know is, and this has been the big mystery, is Dax Hill, the safety yeah. that is that is tremendous going to play. And Michigan has been mum on that. They really refuse to talk about it. Um, uh, the uh, Jim Homerall talk uh, about more would be known on uh, uh, Thursday at this point. But, but look, uh, tremendous line of scrimmage game with the Georgia D-line and that Joe Moore award-winning Michigan uh, offensive line, uh, the difference a, a healthy George Pickens can make in this game. Uh, it, and to me, a very interesting stat that Georgia has allowed zero runs of 20-plus Michigan has 16 runs of 20-plus. Blake Corum and Hassan Haskins, I don't think this will be the case. 
I think Georgia will be concentrating solely on uh, uh, Michigan and not Alabama in this situation. But uh, I'm not going to say they're total mirror images, but but what these two teams do, uh, they they do very similar things very well. They do, and I think some real X factors that you hit on there. Dax Hill in the defensive backfield for Michigan because he's a guy that you can do so many different things with in terms of coverage. He's capable of even matching up on a guy like George Pickens if it comes down to it. I'm thinking more specifically, though, what he could bring to a matchup against Brock Bowers. Sure. Because how Georgia utilizes Bowers and given how dynamic he is for his position, you saw it from Alabama. Teams will go more nickel package against Georgia's two tight end sets when Bowers is in the game because you have to play him essentially like a wide receiver. So you have to get sort of that slot corner on him. And Dax Hill brings some of that for the Michigan defense. So that could be very critical for that Michigan defense. And also, do we see two quarterbacks from both teams? Mm -hmm. I, I feel like Stetson Bennett is entrenched as the guy to the extent of it would take an injury at this yeah, point agreed. because when Georgia got down 38, 17 to Alabama, if there was a time or even 31, 17 there going into the fourth quarter, if there was a time for JT Daniels to at least warm up, right. It right. would seem to have been at those junctures in the second half of the Alabama game. Never happened. Never no. gave, the indication that there might be a change coming. I think Stetson Bennett is just as embedded as the starter as he was going into the Alabama game. And, and I don't think it really has so much to do with, you know, being able to make throws or these, it's just stuff. It's inside Stetson Bennett that has that yes. staff convinced yeah. that yeah. he is far better uh, to lead this team than JT Daniels. And then JJ McCarthy for Michigan, because he has some mobility, um, you know, they can do some different things with him uh, based on his skill set uh, that could maybe stress the Georgia defense, at least keep the Georgia defense a little more honest than, say, what Michigan is at its core. And you said it with Haskins and Corum, you're talking about two running backs in excess of 2,100 rushing yards together this season, 31 combined rushing touchdowns. Um, so that that is... Uh, that's fascinating to to consider when you look at stylistically, you know, how these teams go about their business and how there's some similarities there. So I like Georgia in the game, Brent. Not yeah. sure about you. Uh, I think styles make fights, not only yep. in boxing, but also very much in college football. And this is a good style of bout for the Bulldogs. And speaking of Dan Lanning, does Cade McNamara, is he keeping Dan Lanning up at night, Trev? Uh, I don't think so. I don't think Cade McNamara is keeping him up. I don't think even as just as importantly, um, you know, guys on the outside, there's not a Jamison Williams to account for in this Michigan offense. And so when you think about the secret sauce to dealing with that Georgia defense, Alabama showed it to you. You just got to have the best quarterback in the country, arguably the best wide receiver in the country. Um, And then also win turnover margin plus two, like Alabama did. Do all those things tomorrow night, Michigan, and you will play for the national championship. I've got my 
I got my doubts about Michigan's ability yeah, to do yeah, that. Yeah, uh, so do I. And, and, and the thing we're saying is Georgia's very comfortable playing a game in a phone. Yes, they absolutely. No doubt about it. So when we come off of our New Year's Eve CFP hangover <laughs> on Saturday, we'll shift into the Florida games uh, back on the bowl scene and getting that going for us. In the Outback Bowl, the Razorbacks of Arkansas, eight and four on the season, year two under Sam Pittman, a smashing success, taking on Penn State from the Big Ten. Penn State kind of stumbled there down the stretch, seven and five under James Franklin. Um, man, you look at this Arkansas team and the real possibility to finish with nine wins. That's another yes. thing I don't think a lot of people saw coming. No, and and if and if they do. Uh, and again, largely with the playoffs, will probably determine maybe the eventual SEC coach of the year. But boy, for Arkansas to, to be able to have that many wins, that will be incredible. Well, I think what's huge in this game now, I know Traylon Burks won't play. Trey Williams is a DWI, the defensive end for Arkansas. So he's not going to play either. But, but Trav, it's a laundry list of guys for Penn State who will not be uh, involved uh, with this game. And also Coach Brent Pry, their, uh, uh, their defensive assistant, going to Virginia Tech. So you've got all kinds of uh, issues that's going on here. And, and could a guy that you and I have liked the entire year uh, in K.J. Jefferson trap make a huge difference in this game? I know Sean Clifford's been a pretty good uh, quarterback all the way around, but I, I – I really do think that uh, if if Jefferson uh, can – if he runs for what, Trav, 75 yards and he throws for 250, are those ingredients for a win for the Hawks? They usually are. That's typically the case. And this is another game that, in terms of Vegas, is taking a pretty wild swing from the opening line going from Penn State minus four to currently you've got Arkansas as a two-point favorite down in Tampa. So uh, another one of these games, you're just trying to figure out exactly, as you outlined, who's available. Mm-hmm. And some of these games we're not going to know until kickoff. So no, absolutely that's, not. That's something you got to keep in mind, too. Um, as we saw, especially with Mississippi State and the Liberty Bowl uh, in that Texas Tech loss, uh, we learned right at kickoff that State was down an exceptionally – a large number of players going into that one. So coming up also on Saturday from Orlando, Florida, Kentucky taking on Iowa retro game. I got to think given the <laughs> styles of these two teams, yeah. this yeah. could be similar to Georgia and Michigan from uh, the previous day. When you talk about teams that uh, are pretty comfortable playing inside the hashes, inside the hash marks for the most part. Well, the uh, to me, the big stat here is Iowa's number four in the nation in turnover margin. Kentucky's 126. <laughs> that, and, and listen, you and I have talked all, all year, Trav, Wondell Robinson, Will Levis, Chris Rodriguez. We love those guys, but their propensity for making turnovers uh, problematic it, it, yeah. has, has been a, a tremendous issue, to say the least. For uh, Kentucky, I, I still think Kentucky wins because I don't think Iowa can really uh, score, uh, frankly. I mean, Iowa in total offense, Trav, is 123. Total defense are 15. 
but at the same time, similar to Arkansas, more the cherry on the top would be uh, uh, a win here for Mark Stoops and what they have done this season. No doubt about it. No doubt about it. Plenty of want to for the two SEC teams on Saturday when you talk about both Arkansas and Kentucky. Let's get into the nightcap for New Year's night. The Ole Miss Rebels down in New Orleans taking on the Big 12 champion Baylor Bears. Ole Miss, as it sits right now, a point and a half favorite over Baylor. Uh, And we go back to opt-in, opt-out sort of news. Mm -hmm. Uh, We talked about it in relation to Sam Howell with North Carolina deciding to play uh, in the game against South Carolina in Charlotte. Uh, Same thing for Matt Corral here. And going to tee it up one last time for the Rebels. Yeah, and listen, he really wants to win this game. He that they asked him why he would come back, and he said, "How many how many opportunities does Ole Miss have to play in the Sugar Bowl?" <laughs> that sums it up, does it not? But uh, Corral, um, I mean, he got hurt about midseason. That kind of delayed things a little bit with him, but he still has effective 600 yards rushing, 11 touchdowns. Uh, Trav, that people talk about the Baylor defense. How about the Baylor offense? They averaged 216 passing, 216 rushing. Uh, that, that, that's amazing. But but to me, the key to the game uh, is Baylor has forced 24 uh, turnovers this year. They've got 16 uh, interceptions on the season. That's going to be a problem if Ole Miss is, has a tendency to give up the football on Saturday night. Yeah, I really like Baylor's safety play watching Baylor in the big 12 championship game against Oklahoma state. They've got some guys that will come up first and foremost and strike you. Mm -hmm. Uh, But Dave Aranda, his stamp is all over this Baylor team as it it starts on the defensive side, pretty physical team uh, offensively running the football. So uh, should be a fun matchup down in new Orleans with Baylor and Ole Miss. We're also next week. Uh, in the in the Texas Bowl, LSU and Kansas State, another one of these wild swinging lines. Yes. LSU opens as a two and a half point favorite. That line now sits with Kansas State as a three and a half point pick. I guess there's been some rumblings as much as anything about roster retention for LSU moving forward. And we already saw it with Max Johnson, um, you know, moving on to Texas A&M mm-hmm. at the quarterback position. Miles Brennan says he's going to stay and hang around for the start of the Brian Kelly era behind center. Eli Ricks makes the move to Alabama, the outstanding corner. Uh, But Kayshawn Booty, at least in terms of an indication here Mm -hmm. in the last day or so, seemed to to give us some uh, some 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 indication about where he's thinking uh, moving forward. Yeah, uh, he's been pretty clear on on Twitter that he's staying at LSU. Miles Brennan coming back, uh, I do think is is significant. Neil Farrell, their defensive tackle, is opted out of the game. Uh, that that will make it. And also, Demone Clark, uh, that Travis and I both love, that their yeah. linebacker, uh, he is leaving too. Uh, and again, Trav, <laughs> uh, this this is probably a pretty good indication on LSU's overall year. Where there's still a lot of questions about who even is going to start a quarterback for the Tigers. Yeah, that that's been up in the air, uh, especially with the departure of Johnson and uh, what do you do with Garrett Nussmeyer in terms mm-hmm. of his eligibility? For me though, if you're LSU, that 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 should have been plotted out 
before. It, sure. If you're going to redshirt Nussmeyer, redshirt him. Yeah. You know, when you think about it, you, if you play Nussmeyer in this game, you're not burning his redshirt in the bowl game. You burned his redshirt during the regular season mm-hmm. when you really didn't need to play him. Right. And you played Absolutely. him. So, um, you know, and with what it is, the transfer portal, the quarterback position and all the movement we see right now, I think it's a little overblown about the whole redshirt thing, too. Yeah. Because he still right. has it available to him. So whether he uses it at LSU or perhaps potentially somewhere else down the road, um, it's not like that year's gone altogether. So, yeah, it'll be interesting just to see what LSU puts on the field at a number of positions in this game against Kansas State. Anything else for us, Brent, as we get out of here and get ready for our uh, our New Year's Eve parties that, you know, we both are, are pretty, pretty <laughs> raucous revelers. Oh, yes. So yeah, uh, yeah. we got to get hey. ready for those. Uh, 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 maybe my big question uh, is, Trev, at, at Pops at 74, yeah. will 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 there be some uh, uh, questionable behavior on his part uh, as the clock strikes midnight uh, on New Year's Eve, or or will Pops be snoring by then? You know, Pops will stay up. He's he'll stay up for the ball drop probably because he likes yeah. to stay up and watch those shoot 'em up shows. He likes to watch the <laughs> westerns. Gun He'll smoke. sit up. Yeah, he watches Gunsmoke. He watches all those, you know, right. on the retro channels. And so uh, he'll probably be up, but not as much old number seven involved in New Year's Eve uh, situations uh, with Pops yeah. as there used to yeah. be. He's toned it down quite a bit, actually. So we shouldn't have to we shouldn't have to put too much of a thumb on him coming up here in the next night or so. Well, we we pre- again as the year comes to a close. Uh, and we started our podcast late in the year, but but we really appreciate what our, uh, first of all, executive producer Bill Oakley uh, for our uh, listeners and viewers. We, we appreciate that. Really, and, and Trav, uh, really excited about the coming year uh, as we will certainly continue our, our podcast on a regular basis, obviously making adjustments after the season is over. Uh, but boy, already a lot of excitement for what we could be able to do coming up for that 2022 football season. Absolutely. And we absolutely look forward to rejoining you next week when we'll have plenty to review from the bowl season and specifically the college football playoff matchups involving the Alabama Crimson Tide and the Georgia Bulldogs. Who knows? We may be getting you ready for a Georgia-Alabama rematch for Indianapolis on Monday, January the 10th. We hope that's the case anyway. Brent, always a lot of fun here with you on Second Helping. And if you haven't subscribed to the Second Helping podcast, we certainly hope you'll do so. Wherever you consume podcasts, you're going to find us. Leave us a rating and a review while you're there. That would help us out tremendously as well. For Brent Beard, executive producer Bill Oakley, Travis Ryer, wishing you nothing but the best as we head into 2022. Until next week, so long, everybody.